Well, good morning to you all. And I see the ushers are just finishing up at the end there. And uh, I was uh, sitting on the front pew, and I was thinking, you know, just about our lives. And I was just kind of wondering or pondering, is your life best described as a patchwork of mess, interspersed with some good things here and there, or maybe it's just been a smooth ride. You've never had anything go wrong, ever. I mean, please talk to me. I want to hear your story. You know, the truth is, sometimes we wonder, where in the world is God in this? What's he doing? Yesterday, I uh, was, uh, well, I, I should ask you, how many have been sick once this winter? Twice, three times, four times. Anybody four times sick? Is there anybody? I can't see it. You know, I'm go I, I got sick this week again for the fourth time. I'm like a petri dish of infection or something. And I don't know if I got to quit eating toast or potato chips or something like that. But I tell you, I just don't know what's going on. And my wife says, you're working too hard. And I go, well, work's good for you. And we disagree about that, but that's okay. And uh, she just would like to see more of me. She loves me so much. It's so cool. So yesterday, as I felt a little bit better after kind of being in bed for two days, and oh, by the way, I, I, Thursday night I went to sleep at 9 o'clock, and I woke up at 9 o'clock, and I woke up and said to my wife, oh, I slept so good, it was so great, and she goes, you know you moan in your sleep, right? I said, all night long? She goes, all night long. So Saturday, I woke up feeling a little better, and I thought, well, I just need to do something I enjoy. So uh, last summer, I just bought a kind of a project car, a summer car, and uh, back up the story, a month ago, I, I thought, uh, well, it was actually two months ago, I thought, oh, I should try to go start the car, the battery was dead, so went and bought a battery minder, put it on it, and uh, then just about a month ago, I thought, well, I should check to see how the battery's doing, and when I went out, the battery was dead again. I thought, well, that's weird. Now, this car's got this weird thing. If the battery's dead, you can't open the hood where the battery is. It's a German car. You think they would have thought of it, but they didn't. And uh, so I usually plug something in the lighter to charge up the battery, but I'm sitting here. I think a month ago it was minus 40, and I thought, well, the battery's probably an ice block, and I heard they blow up if you do this, so I probably shouldn't do that. And so I waited a few days, and then I plugged something in the lighter, and I tried to get enough power to unlock the hood so I could see what was going on. And as soon as I gave the car power, the driver's window rolled down. And I was sitting there going, you Germans, like, what's that for? And I couldn't get it to roll up. So, you know, remember, minus 40, one blizzard, second blizzard. My windows rolled down. This is snow piles are piling up in the car, and I keep shoveling it out. So finally yesterday, I thought, okay, this is enough. It's been sitting out there, and it's not even going to be worth driving in this spring if I keep letting it go on. So I thought, okay, I, I had a few ideas of what I could try, and I'd already discovered that I blew a fuse the first time through, and I'd replace that. And I thought, well, maybe, maybe it's, uh, I don't know, I, my power supply maybe, and I, I found in one of my other chargers, is anybody garage like that? You don't know where your stuff is? I found an old charger, and then I found my new charger. So anyway, I thought I'd got to try the new charger, so I plugged in the lighter thing, hooked it up to the, 
to the charger so I could get power to the car to get things to work. And uh, it, the car went click, 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 click a few times and then nothing. And I said, oh, I got an idea. My son is a mechanic. I'm going to phone him up. So I phoned him up. I go, hey, son, how you doing? He goes, I'm at work. I said, oh, oh, it's your Saturday to work. Yes. I said, well, I'm just wondering, do you have any fuses? You know dad's leading to something, right? He goes, yeah, I got some in my toolbox. I said, would you mind dropping them off at my house after work? He goes, I guess. I just fixed my muffler, and I want to test it out. And I said, oh, I'd love to hear the muffler. You got to come. And so all the time I'm knowing, I got to get him to figure out what's going on. He gets there. He looks at the fuse. He goes, Dad, the fuse is fine. Because I thought maybe I blew a fuse again. And uh, then he reaches over to the lighter connection, and he pushes the plug in a quarter of an inch more, and the power comes on. And I said, son, you're a mechanic. I'm so glad you came. But I mean, if you think about it, like I'm the one, I mean, he and I changed an engine out of a car when he was in his teens. I taught him everything he knows, but he has gone far beyond the master. He is now definitely the master. And the other thing is Josh does this every day in and out. He always works as a mechanic. And uh, so he, he knows kind of the processes to go through. I mean, in his head, check the power connections. In my head, I already hooked the power connection up. What could be wrong with it? But he knows sometimes something gets pulled out. And, uh, you know, <laughs> what if I were to say to you that there is somebody who created you that wants you to give him a phone call to come over? You maybe have something in your life, whether it's a project car, whether it's just a lot of hurt and pain, whether it's just some direction, you're feeling miserable. And we have a God who wants you to stop and talk and invite him over. Have you noticed that worldly successful people have passion for a goal they pursue? A goal is not a single ingredient, don't get me wrong. It isn't a single ingredient to make success. For example, if I had a goal to be a record-breaking, long-distance runner, well, I'm old, and you go, well, yeah, but you're not too old, you can do anything. Look at those 90-year-olds, and I go, I have arthritis, and here's the big kicker. I have no desire to do that. You see, people that often move ahead and do what they need to do, they have a goal, they have the gifting, they have the passion. In other words, they knew who they are and they go about to do something about it. And a lot of us struggle in our life with some of those basic ingredients. And I have three things today that I just want us to walk through as a church as we think about having a vision, both personally, having a goal, both personally and as a church. And these three things, I think, as a follower of Jesus Christ, are very critical to your health, wealth, and well-being. And when I'm talking about health and wealth, I'm not talking about riches in the earth here. I'm talking about riches in heaven. 
So let me lay out these three important things. Number one, without direction and God leading, we honestly will drift to self. We will drift to self. And you might go, well, what's wrong with that? That's what the world teaches us. Exactly. We wonder why the world's struggling so much, why depression and suicide, and and don't get me wrong, there's lots of reasons for that, but why are people so unhappy and miserable? Proverbs 29, 18, which if, if you're really long, anybody been a Christian longer than 20 years? Okay, you'll know the King James in this. A people without vision perish. But it actually, it's, you know, back in the old English, that might have made some sense from the Hebrew, but all the new translations spin it the way the New International Version does, and this is what it says. Where there is no revelation, what is revelation? Revelation is my car, I can't get power to it. And God comes and says, here comes a revelation, plug the lighter plug a little further in. That's revelation. And then it goes on to say, people cast off restraint. Without God leading you, without God showing you what your life is and what it's to become, you will literally become so self-centered that you will do whatever your flesh desires and it'll go from bad to worse. And you think, well, I'm just crossing the line a little bit. And I can tell you that little bit becomes a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more until you look in the mirror and don't recognize yourself. And I've talked to lots of people and I've experienced it myself. The text goes on to say, but blessed is the one who heeds wisdom's instruction. So I was thinking about this whole vision stuff and people perishing, and I started thinking about fruit trees. And uh, you probably go, oh, he's gonna tell that story when he was in the Okinawa. No, I'm not. I, I Googled this one. You know, wise old Google knows everything. It's all correct, right? Well, it was the first thing that came up and I read it and it makes sense, so I'm, I'm gonna say it to you. Oh, now my, I'm trying a new program today and it's uh, not being like I wished it would be, so we will try to keep going. Here it goes. Here's what Google said. Pruning fruit trees is a necessary chore that improves sunlight penetration and increases air movement through the tree. Hmm. I worked in an orchard, and I know that's true. Pruning also develops the structure of the tree so that it can support the crop load. Damaged limbs, crop load gets heavy, limbs break. Damaged limbs are susceptible to disease and insect infestations that could further damage the tree. So I started thinking about that, and I thought, how could I rewrite this to fit what we just read in Proverbs. So I did, I rewrote it, signed kind of the same words. Now it won't move. Pruning our motives is a necessary chore that improves penetration of good choices and increases God's movement through the person. Pruning also develops the structure of the mind so that it can support the harvest of righteousness. 
Damaged egos are susceptible to disease and evil infestations that could further damage the person. Are you starting to put your head around just a little bit of a people without revelation, and I say revelation from God, without insight from God, without the mechanic, the true mechanic, the creator of you and I, the one who holds the universe together, the one who loves you intimately and personally and has a plan for your life. And, and don't get God's plans wrong, by the way. Uh, remember Stephen who got stoned? That was God's plan. Do you remember how happy Stephen was in the text? Do you remember Jesus who got whipped on the cross? That was God's plan. We always assume that God's plan is always a bed of roses and honky-dory. Ooh, there's a 70s word. It's just so beautiful. And it is beautiful. And I can tell you from my journey, my journey has been so life-giving and full as I've let God lead me. And I've gone through rough, deep waters and I've had points where I I couldn't feed my family and I look back and I smile because I go, God was with me and it made a foundation and it strengthened me and it caused me to create and have a being and a personality that could handle the, the harvest of righteousness that God wants me to do. I mean, think about it. If life is eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die, then really, why not be Hitler? Why not be a people user? But amazingly, created in God's image, and this is all of mankind, we know deep in our soul that there is more and that we are to love others. And when we pursue just selfish pursuits, feeding just me and what I want, it just is a mile wide and an inch deep. And deep in our souls we know that. And as Christians, friends, listen to this, we must be God-led. Point number two. I'm not too sure if you're aware, but the Bible teaches that not just lead Pastor Anthony Balmer, but everyone who calls on the name of Jesus is God's representative. Now we're gonna kinda look in Exodus chapter 18 and we're gonna kinda go back at one of the more original structures God set up and it, it was a structure where there was people set up that were kinda the go-between between man and God and they would kinda, they were called priests or in this case it's Moses and they would go to God with man's concerns, people's concerns, God would give the answer and then Moses would go back. That's the way it was. Now, uh, we need to kind of go there to see what God has kind of transitioned things to. Exodus chapter 18, verse 13, and just before we read it, this is a point where um, Moses' father-in-law, if we were to read a little bit earlier, Moses' father-in-law shows up on the scene with Moses' family. Now, if you understand this story, Moses was in the wilderness for a long time. And the burning bush shows up and God calls him to go back to Egypt to let his people go so that he could help them be freed. And apparently, reading this text, he left his family behind. And I believe, if I'm accurate, this went on for years where he didn't see his family because he was doing God's will. Do you think that was fun? 
And so Moses, through incredible miracles, and you know the stories if you've ever read any Sunday school stuff, uh, the plagues, the, 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 the curses that happened to those that were disobeying, the, the, the Red Sea parting, the, the waves coming back upon the, the army and drowning. I mean, it was just incredible what God did to let God's people go. Now, but think fully before we get to this text. There's about a million to three million people, they figure, they were slaves for a long time. They didn't understand how to be judges, how to be policemen, how to justice works, nothing. They just were under the complete thumb of whoever was their master. And so here Moses is leading a million of these people. His father-in-law shows up. And I don't know if it was bring your father-in-law to work day, but apparently it was. And so let's read the story. Exodus chapter 18, verse 13. The next day, Moses took his seat to serve as judge for the people. And they stood around him from morning till evening. This is a workaholic man, wouldn't you? This is a guy with a passion, a compassion for his people. Verse 14, when his father-in-law saw all that Moses was doing for the people, he said, what is this you are doing for the people? Why do you sit alone why do you alone sit as judge while all these people stand around you from morning till evening? Now, in our culture, father-in-laws, we would just tell them, mind your own business, go home, leave and cleave. I married your daughter, get away from me. I don't need what you said. But in that culture, they actually had some respect. And we're trying to get some back here, but we got, they had respect. And so Moses answers him, because the people come to me to seek God's will. See the setup? See how it works now? This isn't an autocracy where there's a king, but this is a theocracy where God is leading the people through Moses. Because the people come to me to seek God's will. Verse 16, whenever they have a dispute, it is brought to me, and I decide between the parties and inform them of God's decrees and instructions. Remember, no judges, no lawyers, they have nothing set up. Moses' father-in-law replied, what you are doing is not good. Thank you, dad-in-law, I needed to hear that. Verse 18, you and these people who come to you will only wear yourselves out. The work is too heavy for you. You cannot handle it alone. Listen now to me, and I will give you some advice, and may God be with you. Now, uh, we're going to stop in the story here, but the story does go on to say, uh, this is where we create this tens of tens. You know, one guy leads ten guys, and those ten guys lead a hundred guys. It's a beautiful system that is still used in a lot of cultures, companies today. But listen to this. Just before he gets to all that, he says, you must be you must be the people's representative before God and bring their disputes to him. Now, I'm not arguing that in this church that the lead pastor is God's ambassador and the only one that should ever talk to God. In fact, I'm gonna argue that when Jesus came, that flipped a little bit, and now we are all ambassadors. We are all now the priesthood of believers, you don't need to come to me to find out what God's will is. I am not uh, uh, stripping away 
or downplaying uh, that there isn't con- there is constituted authority in the church. There is structure. I'm accountable to the elders board. I'm also accountable to my district superintendent and to my president in the alliance. Man, I got a lot of people. And I'm also accountable to you guys. Man, what am I doing? I should go start a business. But Moses' father-in-law had a really good point. Moses had become so consumed with the letter of the law with helping solve disputes between stolen chickens, bulls that broke fences and killed a bunch of people. He'd become so consumed with the nitty-gritty that he no longer was talking to God on behalf of the people. He no longer was talking to the people on behalf of God. And honestly, friends, you need to hear this. We are so guilty of that as a church. We in North America have become so good at structure, motivation, vision, and I want to declare to you that this church doesn't do it that way. We maybe have leaned that way at times, but our first and foremost thing, this has been a switch up in the elders board, the staff meetings in the last two years. We don't have any meeting of decision until we actually stop and somebody, it's usually me quite often, says, God, would you please speak to us? And, and sometimes I give a topic, I'll give a question. God, would you please let us know what to do about our crippling debt that we had a couple of years ago? God, would you please let us know what we should do, be doing about the shortage of staff around? God, would you please, and, and we would do that. But often it's just, God, speak to us. And then I used to wait for one minute. I'd tell guys to get a paper and a pen and write down what God says, scripture verses, uh, visions, uh, Uh, pictures that they see, whatever it is, just write it down. And sometimes, if we have time, I'll even ask guys to go around and I'll say, share what you heard. Some people have nothing, but often there's a couple of really cool things. And it's amazing how it fits in. I mean, a lot of the people have no idea what we're about to talk about. But it's amazing how it fits into what we're about to discuss. And how God's presence, his word, his power, his insight into the little lighter plug-in starts to lead us. Charles Stanley this week, I'm listening as I'm driving to work one morning and there's that moment for whatever it is that Charles has. And I'm quoting this from memory and if you know me, my memories it's got like really big holes in it so if it's not accurate. But I know there was two main things that I picked out of what he said. He was talking about prayer and he said, we all know that prayer is talking to God. And then he said, but that actually is part of the problem. He said, most experts will say in a conversation, you need to listen twice as much as you talk. Oh, I heard that principle in college. I was taught as a pastor in counseling 101 that uh, when people come to my office, you need to listen twice as much as you talk. You know how much that kills me as a talker and as an extrovert? But I try to do it. Do you know when most of us pray, all we do is talk? Did you know as staff and elders, we now wait up to two minutes? The other day, I pushed it to five minutes, letting people listen to what God said. It was like a 30-second prayer and five minutes of listening. I mean, we're consulting the King of Kings. 
Does the scripture not say that Jesus Christ is the head of the church? Does the scripture not say that Jesus Christ is the head of you? I I heard one young lady say, he is my Lord and Savior. Do we mean it? Do we mean it as individuals? Do we mean it as a church? Is your prayer life what it should be? Uh, Do you actually listen to God? Is God leading you? Oh, and here's going to get a little painful. Is God leading your church? Is God leading your church? Now, I'm going to read a little bit of a statement, but I want to preface it by saying this statement is not declaring that the church should not have leaders and constituted authority. However, the older I get, the more I understand that if I teach people to read and study their Bibles... If I teach people they are God's ambassadors, and if I teach people to hear from God, there will be a oneness of mind and an almost perfect unity that I don't, <coughs> that I don't need to sell. <coughs> Every leadership course I took, it, it, it'll, <coughs> it'll explain to you how you get a vision and you cast the vision and you lead the people. And boy, my goodness, I've started to understand that if I teach you to read your Bibles, to pray, to listen, I don't need to sell a vision because you'll already be there. Oh, in first service, I was sitting on the pew just at the very end and I suddenly had the thought, and I I don't know if it was from God, but I think it was, and, and the thought was, what about that person that hears from God and comes up to you and says, thus saith the Lord, what I heard God say is you're all sinners and that hot tub on the stage, it's evil and you should cast it into the pit of hell. And you, you hear people like that and there are people like that or, or maybe you think you hear his voice and I wanna just encourage you, please go through our six weeks of hearing God. Lesson six deals with that. We are never, ever 100% sure. And what we try to do is, uh, this gets so cool, when I have a whole room full of people, whether it's your life group, your family, and you're all listening to God, you'll see a common theme come through. And that's starting to push up the edge that it's probably the voice of God because you didn't consult each other and you're hearing the exact same thing. This has gotten so funny that Sometimes, and I'm not, I don't know if I want to even admit this, sometimes I whine to my elders and say, there's this guy in the church, and he's really upset, and he's upset about X, Y, or Z. Well, I'm going to confess who it was, and I might have to apologize to him, the chairman of the board, and you guys have to figure out who that is. He's gotten this habit lately, and it's so irritating. He'll say to me, did you think of asking him to ask God about it? I mean, I've gotten smart now. I go, good idea. And so I'm starting to learn to do that. So if you come to me with venom and fire, maybe even in kindness, uh, you know, first off, I need to ask God what you've said. Is there any truth to it? And you need to go and pray. Is there any truth to it? I, I already had gotten to the point in my life where I say, well, let's go to the scriptures. What do the scriptures say? You know, if you come to me and tell me I should wear red lipstick, I'll say, well, let's go to the scriptures and see what the scriptures say. Ooh, I don't see it in there. I guess it's my choice or not. Well, it isn't my choice. That'd be kind of weird. So let me be clear, point number three. Hearing God is not just the leader's role. I think we're getting that idea, right? And as we look at this next scripture, and I never did write it down, so you're gonna have to pull it up for me. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 4. 
It talks about the priesthood of believers. It talks about who we are in Christ. And it says very clearly, as you come to him, this is written to you and me, the living stone, that's Jesus Christ, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, this is at Matthew 28, all power in heaven and earth has been given to me, and I give it to you, Jesus says. You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. Oh, we don't just have Moses anymore interceding. Offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Oh, I could have gone to so many verses, but we are pretty much out of time. And I will tell you, as you study the scriptures, you'll begin to find this principle over and over and over, that unity in the church happens when people connect with God. When Jesus Christ, the head of the church, is the head of the church. Now just to try to finish this off, let me just take you on a little bit of journey of Anthony, and I've kind of messed around with it a little bit, and it might not even sound like anything you've ever heard before, but, but just kind of follow with me now. I was called to be a pastor at 18, but it took me about three or four years to figure that out. It's not that my life has been financially lucrative, doing what God says, it's not that I have all the desires financially, materially that I ever could have, but I can tell you my life has been full and I look back at the woven complexities, the hurt, the pain, the disappointments, not being able to feed my kids, whatever it is. <laughs> at farewells at church where people wept and appreciated the ministry that God had done, And I, friends, have learned to be content in everything. Where I honestly am rich is in God's leading. So at seven, I responded to the call to become a Christian. Now, this was interesting because God surrounded me with three Christian families. A lady who planted the Alliance Church in Fort St. John in the, I don't know, 1940s, 50s. And right behind me it was the Hogans and they're the ones that eventually got me going to youth group in high school and on the other side of me was the Olsons and they were Lutherans and it was in their backyard at a backyard Bible club that I prayed to receive Jesus. The Hogans got me going to church at 16 as I said, well, it wasn't exactly, I went to youth group and there was a cute girl there so I went to church to see her and uh, she rejected me but I really like church. Do you see how God works? My career as a pastor took 12 years to get to. I didn't become a pastor till I was 30, so you can imagine all the doubts I had once I figured out he wanted me to be a pastor. So step number one to my pastoral journey is I was graduated from high school in 1979 and I didn't know what to do. I was working in a garage, changing tires actually mostly, oil and tires. And I had a bunch of my friends, my best friends went off to Canadian Bible College in Regina and so this is, you know, September, they all take off, my life's empty, I don't know what to do. 
changing tires, not really liking it. And my friends, two of them, their parents decide to go to Regina to visit their sons in college, and they phone me up and say, hey, would you like to come? So I followed them in my car, and I got to the school. I'd never been there before, and it just started to resonate with me, and I started to wonder and think, and then through various circumstances and God's intervention, that January I was at Bible college, Step number two to me being a pastor is going to be a little bit of a surprise. I tried to do other things. I was a mechanic in a Toyota dealership. I was the only mechanic, and no, I wasn't papered. Although I should move to the States, I understand I could be a mechanic there. We're so awesome, and we're such good Canadians. We've got good standards. Ask my son. He'll tell you. I was actually a fairly good mechanic, but... I just knew it wasn't what God called me to. And it wasn't that I was horribly miserable, but I I just had this sense it wasn't what I was supposed to do. And so I went back home to Fort St. John. Some things happened and was staying at my parents. And I thought, well, what do you want me to do, God? And I saw an ad in the paper for an assistant manager in A&W. And I went through all the interviews and the tests. And the manager or the owner phoned me up and he offered me the job. And I said, can I pray about it? For a couple of days, so I did. And in those couple of days, all I kept hearing was no, no, no. Every time I say, oh God, this is so exciting. I've always wanted this kind of opportunity. I've kind of thought I could be a manager. And God says no. And I'm going, well, what else am I supposed to do? And God just says, trust me. And he said no. I remember when I phoned the guy back and I said, I'm really sorry. This is going to sound weird, but I just sense I shouldn't be doing this. The guy almost hung up on me thinking, I, I, he, like you can hear him saying, like you realize I'm giving you the opportunity of your lifetime and you're turning me down. I said, I am perfectly aware. So then I tried to be a carpenter and I was building tilt-up warehouses, trying to figure out if that's what God wanted me to do. I lost 30 pounds, which wasn't a bad thing. It was mostly because they worked me like a rented mule. Again, I, I, eight months of that, and I was just going, I don't know, I, I just, it's like something's not right, something's missing. So I got the bright idea. I'd heard through my dad that the Ministry of Transport was looking for air traffic controllers, so I signed up on the line, and I had to take a whole bunch of tests, psychological tests, uh, intelligent tests. I had to be interviewed three or four times. I did all that. And I was supposed to know by November. Now, at this point, I was married with one kid. And I was supposed to know by November, December. And November came nothing. I even phoned my contacts that my dad had. They said, well, I, I guess you just didn't get the position. I said, okay. And I remember going to God and saying, gee, what should I do? And God's going, mm, gee, is there anything that you've really loved and enjoyed in the last few years? And I'm going, well, I really like being at college. So I remember telling my wife, and by this, you need to know, it was December 25th, and school started January 4th or something. So I literally jumped in my car, drove to college in Regina. My wife and kids were living in Abbotsford. And so my wife started packing up the house while I started college. Three weeks into college, I get a phone call finally from the government. They said, we have a position for you if you can be in Trenton, Ontario, and I can't remember if it was February, March. Did you know I didn't even have to have a second to say anything? I just said, actually, I'm going to turn the job down. Now, understand now, I understand now how stressed out air traffic controllers get. 
But all I saw, I think I was about uh, 24. It was a really good paycheck. It was really good. I think this is a long time ago. It was like 60,000 a year, which is probably over 100,000 a year now. It was really good pay. And I turned that down. And I want to tell you, I have not been rich. I, I, have, I pastored a church where it took them up to two months to pay me. But I can tell you that my life has been full. Has it been always happy in those moments? No, but I love getting up and going to work. I love the call God's put on my life. I just want you to know, and I don't want to bore you anymore with my life, trials and tribulations and twists and turns. I, I have noticed one thing, though, in all my life, that when things go really bad, it's one of two reasons as a rule. Number one is, I made a bad mistake. <laughs> I bought what I shouldn't have. I took a job I knew I shouldn't take. I've moved where I shouldn't have moved. Number two reason is sometimes stuff happens and God has something to teach me. But I want you to understand this. God has a plan for you despite what you're feeling, despite where you're going, and he wants you to listen, to pray, to read the scriptures, and he wants to lead you. He wants to speak words to you. Even more importantly, not just to you, but I am convinced more than ever that God has some very specific plans for Grand Prairie Alliance Church. And those plans are going to be very similar to other churches. And we have this life journey Pastor Rod talked about with six kind of levels on it. Well, one of them's uh, worship and that kind of underrides everything. But we have this life journey. And it's super biblical. But here's the thing. Is that, I mean, the life journey we kind of put together... Well, four or five years ago, it's kind of, well, we started 12 years ago with Reach, Serve, and Grow, and that's still in the life journey, and we've kind of added to it and stuff. But here's the cool thing. This is how God works when he puts your plans together. As we as a church started getting connecting with Holy Spirit Weekend and Soul Care, and then Southland Church Renewal, did you know Rod and I were looking at the stuff, and it perfectly started to overlay on our life journey. In fact, it enriched it. And both of us just went, this is unbelievable. Do you know God has a plan for Grand Prairie Alliance Church? Do you know what happens when you begin to let yourself drift, when you, when you just don't let yourself be pruned and sheared, when, when you just don't seek the face of the Lord for revelation, when you just start casting off restraint? Pretty soon as a church, what happens to us is we no longer have those roses because we don't send the missionary out because we wanted the money. Let's say we wanted to have free food every day or we wanted to redecorate with gold and diamonds in the auditorium here, whatever it might be. And we just become so self-centered. It's all about us. It starts to show up in our budget. Our budget line, everything that's external, helping the community, helping missions, reaching the lost, it goes down and everything about us goes up. Now, we need to maintain our plant here. We need to keep things rolling here. We need to have okay seats and the heat turned on and lights up. That is important stuff. But, but when we get self-centered as a church, when we get self-centered as individuals, we just become, we just drift. We just get, oh, pretty soon we're looking in the mirror and we don't like what we see. Grand Prairie Alliance Church is 80 years old. 
Bob Reed, years and years ago, now this is 30 years ago, had been one of the original pastors of this church. I interned here 30 years ago, and I remember him sitting and talking to with me, and he said, Grand Prairie Alliance Church, God has brought an evangelist, a teacher, and then a, a, a disciple maker, and an evangelist, and a teacher, and a disciple maker, and he says, just so cool, and I believe God's still up to something. I don't want to be in a church. And I'm not speaking, I'm the lead pastor, so it's even more scary if I'm saying, I don't want to be in a church that's all about me. I want it to be all about God. And what is God wanting us to do? And there's going to be no mountain too high, no financial ass too big. Oh, Southland Church, man, when God gives them a plan and a vision, they don't even fundraise. Southland Church stopped doing uh, volunteer fairs years ago. Because when God says, we want you to reach out to the poor, 30 people come say, God's been speaking to me about that. So I'm convinced if we'll all just hear God, oh, there's going to be the odd time where I'm going to go, I am so against all that, I can't believe this is happening, because that's been me. But if we all seek God's face, there's going to be unity that comes. And maybe there's a concern I had that's legitimate to be listened to. But in the end of the day, God's got a plan for us as a church. So here's the conclusion. Oh my goodness, 11 minutes over my time. I'm sorry. Are you all starving to death yet? I had a good snack before. I won't tell you what it was. So here's the conclusion. And my iPad went, did a heart attack again. Hearing God corporately brings unity. Do you believe it? And that doesn't mean that we all sit here now. And, I mean, maybe we should do a five minutes of silence. What that means is we all connect with God, and we're going to find some very common ground. Uh, number two, unity and purpose brings a church that is God-centered. Moses' warning. Don't get all caught up in the lights and the pews and the shampooing. Oh, there's a stain down. No, I'm teasing. Number three, being God-centered brings, and here's my favorite, brings righteousness. It brings righteousness. I, I had a weird kind of experience this whole week. I, I've been kind of happier and I've been less impatient with my wife. And I, I was kind of hoping and waiting she would say, what's with you? And I was thinking about it yesterday. What's with me? You know, I, I went through Set Free last weekend. And I was one of the organizers, so I didn't even get a chance to really confess sins per se. And that kind of, I worked on a little bit of that. But just being around people who are set free... It just brought my soul to a whole new place. I mean, talk to people that are in Alpha. They are just so thrilled to see people come to faith in Christ. Being God-centered brings righteousness. And number four and final, righteousness makes everything and everyone thrive. Righteousness makes everything and everyone thrive. Let's bow our heads and pray. Heavenly Father, you, God, the omnipotent God, the all-knowing God, the everywhere God, the good God, the righteous God, the loving God, you do not wish that any should perish. And if there's somebody here today that has not yet received Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, may they choose to do that now because you've got a plan for everyone. 
and you're waiting for us to come under your authority. And we in this world, we're so afraid of authority because we've seen such abuse and we've abused authority. But you, God, aren't that kind of God. Oh, God, how many times have I used the excuse, God gave me a brain to think and I'm going to use it. And it isn't that you haven't given us a brain to think because you have, but you want to lead us. You want to help us do and accomplish with a plan, a purpose, a passion, gifting, what you've called us to do and to be. So many of us have bought into the patterns of this world. Happiness is a big bank account, a nice car. When I've understood that happiness is you leading me, you leading my church, Oh, there's a lot of joy in that. And I know there'll be some people here that are very gifted to raise money for the purpose of the kingdom of God. And there's some people here that are going to have great opportunity to volunteer lots in the church because that is how the kingdom of God works. And there's going to be some here that are going to be able to pray and connect with you and intercede for you because that's the way God's kingdom works. Give us as individuals vision and give us a church vision. And God, I wanna say as the lead pastor, you are the head. Jesus Christ, you are the head. And we are the sheep. And you're our leader. And we commit to letting you speak. And we will listen. In Jesus Christ's name I pray, amen.